We're up to our seventh part of the what and the why of prayer. We're taking a little bit of time to focus on the next stage of our davening, which is the karbonos, the sacrifices which you say in the morning. This, to our chagrin, is one of the most overlooked, underestimated, and um, misunderstood parts of davening. Um, it is the part of davening which most frequently people ask me if it's all right to miss. Um, <laughs> and that's the people who ask. Um, so, it is, so we have to appreciate what's going on, what are we doing, why, why are we doing it, and how it works. So what happens is that usually speaking, we look at it and we just look at it, we say, that's a lot of pages. Right? <laughs> there really are a lot of pages there. So what do we do about all these pages? They seem to all be uh, going at a different, uh, uh, at a different links. Thank you. Let me just re-research. Can you give me a tissue box? That's right. I want to do a little higher here. There we go. Thank you so much. No, there we go. Just need that. There you go. Okay, the folks on this side can have a little bit more height. There you go. Okay, much better. So, um, um, so there, it turns out there actually are very different parts of this whole process. And it helps us to understand the different parts and then understand the triage of the different parts and also, <coughs> therefore, therefore, what to do, what's most important. So let's start at the very beginning. Um, first of all, just a, base, a basic questions, the what's. So the, when is the best time to say the Korbanos? So it is best to say the Korbanos when one is in shul. Why would you think that's the, the, the reason? Why is that necessary? Right, so if the Korbanos, if we're commemorating something which happened in the times of the base of Mikdash, then the, our Migdash Ma'at, our small sanctuary, is the, is the shul. So the most appropriate place to do them is the shul, which is why we, 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 we take preference in doing them in shul if possible. What happens if I come late to shul? So if I come late to shul, the, so the answer is you shouldn't come late to shul. But, <laughs> but in the unlikely circumstance, you know, like when the captain gets on the line, he says, in the unlikely event of a loss of cabin pressure, so in the unlikely event of, of being late, then what does one do? So if, here's, here's what happens. If the concern is that one may miss davening Kriyas Shema with the Tzibur or um, the Amida Betila Betzibur, in such an instance one can omit the Karbatas, but they still, still should be said. So it's not a free pass. There is a debate, as we will see about Pesukah Zimra, whether or not one can catch up Pesukah Zimra afterwards after davening. But there is no debate about Karbanas. One can certainly say the Karbanas after davening. So what, happens, what would happen? So one should not sacrifice Tefillah B'tzibur for it, but one can, re, so to speak, reshift the program to be able to do it. So it's not necessarily the first thing that has to be said as well. From when can I say that? I wake up early in the morning and it's the winter time and they've just changed the law. And so now what am I going to do about, about the Karbanas? So actually, there we go, we're going to see, we'll do it in more detail, but it depends which of the Karbanas. So for instance, the Trumas edition and the Kiyor paragraphs can be said even at night time, whereas the Korban, Tamid and the Ketores can only be said in the daytime. We'll see, we'll see in, a second, in a moment just which, the, which they are and why they appear in that way. What posture should they be said in? And the answer for this is standing. This is akin to Avoda, to service in the temple. There were no chairs for the Kohanim when they were doing Avoda. This is how they're doing it. In fact, there are opinions in Aloha that specifically those who are of priestly blood should be standing when reciting the Korbanos. Specifically because they are akin, they are the facilitators of the Avoda, so they should be standing. Dr. Bullen, you, that's, uh, that's, where, that's where we're at. And now, if there is a... a, a, a or is that the, the Hashokhan Rav says it is a good idea to be standing, um, but certainly there's an opinion that definitely the Korbanos should be. So um, what about, what about, the, what is the triage? So there's not, there's a, 
not so many people talk about this, but in the Tulek al one of the footnotes, he quotes Chuvus one of the Akhradim, who says that, that, that if one is pressed, here is the, so to speak, the triage of the Karbanos. The first is Anachnu Chayavim, which is the whole, that's the paragraph which follows that whole section is really the beginning of this whole process. That should be said first, that's the most important thing to be said. The next part is the Yiratzon Shetarachem. This is the, 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 the Akash Baruch Hu. You should have mercy on us through, this pro, through the process of the Karbanas. Then the time of the Kataris and the Lacheni Yiratzon afterwards as well. So those are the, the most important of this, the, of this process. Let's take a look inside and sort of see what this is. If you have a sitter in front of you, it actually may be helpful. But I did try to put the, I did try to put the, I did try to put the, the, general, the general flow of what it is at the beginning of our notes. Just to take, take a look. Yes, Tibi. Good question. So the Shulchan does talk about the We're not going to focus on it so much. It's not really the Karbanos, but it is mentioned in the same area at least once. Okay, so we'll take a look. We'll take a look at that. Um, we'll, maybe we'll have another time. We'll get a chance to look at the Akeda itself. So let's 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 start at the very beginning. Why are we doing this? Why why do we do Karbanos on a daily basis? So this is based on a pasuk in Hosea, and the pasuk in Hosea says Unashalma Farim Sefoseinu. Which essentially is the word it comes gives gives forth the idiom which is unfortunately misused today, which is called lip service, right? farim let our lips pay the farim the the bulls the bullocks. So we are by learning it, we are essentially in a certain sense getting there, which is why the Gemara tells us in the first source imenachos kufiyudam and alav amri yisak ma'idirsev bezois toras hachatos. Why is it that in describing at the beginning of Parashas Tzav, which we passed by recently, that it describes the laws pertaining to it as the Torah? Torah also means teaching. So why is that? To tell us, To tell us that it's not simply a avoda as a physical act, but it is also an avoda as a, so to speak, a spiritual learning program. So today we don't have the wherewithal to bring the karbanos, but we do have the ability to be able to study them as well. The Chavetz Chaim was very much um, akin to this, and in fact, we know what the, we know the most famous books that the Chavetz Chaim wrote. So, what are the most famous, um, so to speak, contributions we know that the Chavetz Chaim made to our learning? What was that? So we know Mishnah We also know Chavetz Chaim. That's why it's called the Chavetz Chaim. <laughs> but but what, there's Avas Chesed. There's many many others for him. But what most people are not aware of is that the Chavetz Chaim also wrote a pirush on the Gemara in Zvachim and Menachos. And that was because the Chavetz Chaim was of a firm belief as being of the priestly nature. He the Chavetz Chaim of Yisrael, Meir HaKohen of Radin, um, was, uh, was uh, very much akin to the, the idea that, the, that priests, certainly, the Kohanim, should be learning the Halachas of Karbanos because Bimher of Yomenu will have a base of Mignash and everybody will be clueless. So he was very much into that, and um, in fact, um, there, are, there are a number of kolilim today which are only learning um, kodshim, which are learning the halachas of kodshim. Um, in fact, we just welcomed to our shul Rabbi Wolf, who, who is the rosh kolil of the, the kolil of, um, of kodshim on Harazesim just a few weeks ago, um, where, where, where he, there's a kolil, a very small kolil on Harazesim um, in the area called Malay Harazesim, with a beautiful area in there, and uh, they're learning kodshim. And this, the, the, the yeshiva in the old city in the Muslim quarter called Ateret Kohanim is supposed to be on this. It's not only Kohanim, but, it's, uh, but it's, it was meant to be founded on this as well. Uh, good question. Good question. The, 
certain areas. Depends on how you make it. The, the Jordanians cleared some of it for us. Um, so, uh, be it as it may. There you go. So, I mean, unfortunately, there are ways to get through it, and the Jordanians helped with that a little bit between 1948 and 1967. That is the goal of what we're trying to do. So we're trying to recreate something which happens on a daily basis. So what, what is chosen? So the, which, which, I mean, there's a lot of korbanos. So which ones do we say? So there are a number of different practices, and you'll see that our practice is not necessarily the one which was originally discussed. So as an example, the Shulchan Aruch tells us this is actually the beginning of Shulchan Aruch. So Orachaim is the first of four parts of the Shulchan Aruch, and the first simon of Orachaim is, is what we're talking about here. So it's Aleph, uh, Hey. This is where korbanos are talked about. And he says, Tov Lomar Ha'akeda, so... To be your, to your point, it's a good idea to say the Akeda, that's the parish of Akeda, which is Bereshis Perikhov Beis, which is where we inserted earlier on before the Olam Yehadam. It is good to say all these parishios. Where are those found, by the way? Where, 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 where are we referring to? Beginning of Parshas Tzav. Okay, so it actually is talked about in Parshas Vayikra and repeated in Parshas Tzav. The Malbim understands that in Parshas Vayikra it was to the Hamon Am, to the people. In Tzav it was the memo to the Kohanim, with more specifics about the Avodah. So generally speaking, it is understood to be the beginning of Parshas Tzav, which we should say the Korbanos and how they are brought. Um, and notice, by the way, that the Ramah is going to say that it's not so clear that a person should be saying that's because we don't want to overemphasize one aspect of the Torah being our only axiom of belief, because many of the 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 the, the tzidokim or those uh, those might refocus and misunderstand the appropriateness of this. Then the Shulchan goes on to say in uh, skipping four sifim to sif tests, which is in source three. Yesh no agim lomar parshas hakiyar. We say the section of the wash basin. Vachigar parshas chumas adeshen, and that is the clearing of the ashes. Vachigar parshas tamid, and afterwards the section of the korban tamid. Vachigar parshas mizbeach miktar ketores. The, the one about the altar, the golden altar of the incense, and making the katoris the incense. That's what the Shulchan Aruch says. Now, interestingly enough, which of these do we do and which of these do we not do? Just in, in terms of actually looking at the, 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 these two seifim of the framework of Karbanas as discussed in the Shulchan Aruch. So, which, which are actually in our Siddur? Um, Okay, so the, the, there are there are different opinion, uh, opinions about this, but let's but let's go through this for a second. In a sif hey, which is our second source here, yeah? he describes saying the akeda. So we're not going to get to the akeda today because it's its own. It's not actually a korban. It's its own commemoration of zechus avos. Okay, but then we talk about the, the and we're going to leave out the man and the aseres adibros because that's really an after davening uh, discussion because that's where they really are found in the siddur. But he describes the parshas olah mincha shlamim chatas and asham. Do we say that? The answer is no, we don't say that. Our davening does not have those sections in it. We don't say the, we, do, we may say the olah, but we'll see in a second how. Okay, we do not say the khatas and the ashram and so on. It is interesting, it is, there are those, the Mishabura quotes those, who if a person were to have sinned in a way that would warrant a khatas, they should specifically say the korban khatas. You know, as if they were bringing it. So what would be an, a, an example of a person, unfortunately, who might warrant a korban khatas? You wake up on Shabbos morning, you flick on the lights, God forbid. Right, so that's that's a, that's a chattas. Your person uh, there elapsed. That would be a, that would be a korban chattas. But don't we do that in Azeo Makom and say that? Oh, this, well, we'll get a second. We'll get a second. But we we don't actually say 
the psukim that correlates to these korbanos themselves, but we do do what's in, 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 the, in the, the ninth seif. So let's take a look at this. If you have your siddur, which is, good, which is very helpful, um, again, we don't have, to, don't have to, but I'm using the Yitzchak Yair, the Hebrew, all Hebrew siddur, yeah? So on page 14, the first section we have is the Kiar, that's the wash basin. The second section they, they, have, they have headings to them is the Trumas Adeshen. The next section is the Korban Tamid. And the next section is the Kataris. Okay, so those are precisely following what the Shulchan Aruch described here in the Sea of Tess. That's what we do have. We do not have those Korbanos as described at the beginning of Parshas Tzav. And in fact, the Aruch HaShul comments on this. And he says the reason for this is, is because, as Shalom was hinting to, we're going to later on say, if you flip the page to, to uh, one full more page, it's, there's a parak of Mishnah we're going to talk about, which is called Ezehu Mekoman Shul Zvachim. And we're going to talk about where all the sacrifices are brought. And by saying that is sufficient about talking about where all the Korbanos are without having to quote the entire, the entire section. That's how the Aruch HaShulchan explains that omission. He also says, don't worry, we are not contradicting what the Shulchan Aruch had actually said because the Shulchan Aruch says, is Tov Lamar and Yesh Noagim. So you know, the Shulchan Aruch is not saying categorically we have to say it. He's saying that our custom, so our custom has evolved to be the custom which we have, which is we say, Kiyor, Chumazadesh, and Tamed. And Katares, and then we have, um, we'll see if you want to do things in between, followed by the Ezum Akoman. Yes? So when you mention, when, when, when the Shulchan Aruch says, Yesh Noagim, it sounds like it's a minority, meaning there are those that, 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 yep. that, that, that meaning like the majority would, would not say the Kiyo. Yes. Is that, is that correct? Or, I mean, like, I know, I know that we don't say the Kiyo. Uh, that, yeah, it's a good question. I know, and I know other congregations that don't say the that's a good question. I mean, I, it seems to be that the most common practice is these four elements should be said. That's what it, that's what it sounds like. There may be different differences in communities. There may be a difference in triage. As we saw that the cure is not as important as the actual cover itself. We'll see why it's there in a moment and just appreciate this. Nusachari doesn't have the Kiyot, so there are a number of Nusachari we should have. It isn't actually a carbon itself. We'll see in a second just like to appreciate why it's there. But these four are the ones which are seen to be focused on, and the other carbonos seem to be incorporated into the Mishnayas which the Korbanos brought on a daily basis. Now, that's a, it, it, there seems to be a lot of ideas which parallel the way it was done in the Beis Amigdash. So one of the ideas is that it is done standing up. Another idea is that it's also done, as the Shulchan Aruch says, specifically during the day. It should be that the Korbanos are, these Korbanos are said during the day. Why? Because you're not allowed to bring a Korban at night. There was something that happened at night. What was that? That's called Haktoras Emurim. That means to say the Korban Tamid, you take the limbs and the innards of the Korban and it would burn on his back all night. And th therefore today our vestigial hangover is Mariv, right, which parallels that. But the actual Korbanos, oh, there was no Korban brought at night. So therefore that's why we attempt to do it only during the day. The Arach HaShulchan notes, actually the, oh, the, the Mishnah notes on this as well. Um, in source 6, he says, um, on the top of the, uh, page 4, he says, De'ein Korbanos crave melavayom. You may say the first two sections of the Korbanos before day daybreak. Push comes to shove, you, uh, it can be done at night as well. The other ones, because it isn't actually bringing the Korbanos, it's talking about the Korbanos. But it really, preferentially, one should not say the, the Korbanos themselves. So now, why is this? after nights or... I, I imagine it refers to Nate. I'll tell you why. Oh, I, actually, no. It might be, it might be Allah's I'll tell you why. If anybody's learned Meseches Tamid, we did this a few years ago on the Night of Shuas. We went through the whole Mesechta together. Um, so if you remember this, it's actually, Tamid is really essentially a 
the, the organizing of the day in the, in the, in the base of Mikdash, what the day would look like. So if you remember, the first thing that happens is, besides the night watch and the checking for the kalem and the going around doing the perimeter checks and all the other things that are at the beginning, then what happens is, is that there, there's, there's a, a guard who's waiting on the tower and he sees, when he sees that there's light, that he sees light on the eastern starboard, that's what he calls that barakai. Right, he says that light has, has arrived, and upon that, that's when the, the, the whole action starts going. And remember, it's pretty dark at this point in time, but the, the action starts going, and then and, and the specific Kwanim go out. And what's the first thing that the, the Kwanim do? The first thing they do is, is they have to wash their hands. Right, you have to wash your hands. And then the next thing they do is they do what's called Truma Sadeshen. What is Truma Sadeshen? The is they clean out the ashes. Why are they ashes? Because all night long they were burning the amurim of the carbon, uh, the, the limbs of the carbon tomate of yesterday. After that, then the first thing before any other carbon is brought is the carbon tomate, and then there's the katoris. Now, happens to the menorah is in that mix, and the katoris is sort of speak, so speak, in the middle of this, all of this as well. But essentially, what we're doing in the morning is we are paralleling that process. We're paralleling what a day in the base of Midash would look like: hands, ashes, carbon tomate, incense. Right, so we have organic, we're called um, org, um, organic life, inorganic life, being sacrificed on the outside Mizbech, the inside Mizbech, with the two necessary preparation steps. The reason why the first two steps can happen, can be said even at night, is because that's when they started being said, right? If you, if you, if you understand, so the, the Trimas Adeshin started when it was pitch black. They just saw the light sort of starting to, to emerge on the eastern side. No, that, that's why it was done as such. So this, we're following suit as to what would be done on a, on a, on a daily basis, hopefully within the, the hope that, first of all, our prayers or our, our statements are paralleling it, but also for us to have an appreciation of what the base of Medash used to look like. Now, the question is, is so if you want to sort of hone in, so is it really a memorial? Is it just memorializing what was so that we don't forget? Or is there more to it? And the truth is, it seems that there is a little more to it because... You will notice, and the Shulchan Aruch says this, and we can find this in our Sidurim, that there are addendums to this. So take a look at Source 7. The Shulchan Aruch says, When you finish the parasha of the Ola, the burnt offering, It should be as if I sacrificed this as a burnt offering. Because they can be brought voluntarily. So if you'll look in the Sidurim, you'll notice after the main paragraphs, not after the Kiyar, and not after the Trumas Adeshin, because those are not, those are not Karbanos in, in and of themselves fully. But before and after the Karban Tamid, there is a little Yihiratzon. And this is, in a certain sense, as if, says the Shulchan Aruch, it sounds like a supplication, not just a memorialization. That we're trying to say, please, Hashem, let it be like that we do this. Which is why the posture of standing, which is why the daytime for those, that, 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 that Korban. Here's an interesting thing, just uh, something to, to be aware of, is that when you were, when you were to bring a Korban in the base of Megdash, there was a great amount of emphasis on thought. It's a great emphasis on if a Kohen was bringing a Korban and had the wrong thought about some of the steps of the carbon or the timing or the placement of the carbon, the carbon will be invalidated. So it's a particularly important for us, specifically when doing the carbon tomid, to have the focus on what the words we're doing, which is very hard because we're usually rushing, we're usually late, and, and, and the baltfiller is not usually sympathetic to the, to, to, to the state of affairs. So it is important to appreciate this as well. Rav Cook tried to capture this, the, the, this moment in the morning, and he does so so poetically. And this is a translation. Try to imagine learning this in Hebrew as you read the words. 
This is in Orot. These, this is the work called Real Rav Kook Learning. There are some more accessible aspects of Rav Kook's writings, where like we, we learn on Shabbos together, the Eli Yabbat, the, you know, the, the Rav Kook's poetic perspective on things is captured in Orot, in Oros. And on the, the seven, on the page 118, he says the font is a translation of Betzalel uh, Naor. Um, he says, all the logic of our spirit and standing of our soul are founded on the light streaming from days of old and former days and the life of our prayer, which revives our soul downtrodden by the waves of exile. They are all nourished with the, uh, by the sap of the life that remains ours forever until the day shall come when Israel will be uplifted and return to its tent as in the beginning. We stand full of pride and brokenness, full of joy and bitterness, full of sorrow and comfort and hope towards the great vision that opens to us as a living treasury from which we take the life of the divine service, life of prayer. From the greatness of our glorious past, which is the source of our lovely future, treasures of the life of the Holy of Holies for the nation and its children, for all mankind and for all creation. So what he's trying to do is saying is that here we are, we're standing in whatever diaspora community it is that we've been standing in for the last almost 2,000 years. And we're looking back at a memory of the distant past, hoping for something of the close future, merging our experiences of brokenness with the hope of the, the future is what we're doing when we're saying the Karavad. Just think about the, the, the magic of all of that coming together in, in, in the way that he would say his Karavad. It's a very, very beautiful perspective of, of what, is, uh, what is being said here. Rabbi Sachs, actually, in his introduction to the Koren Sachs um, Siddur, uh, makes the observation, which is a very important observation, is that because the Karabonis were so inner focused, they were so about the feelings and the, the thought process that were going on, which is why the prophets screamed at the nation of Israel when they were simply bringing superficial Karabonis without any of the thought process, contrition or self-work going through it. That's why the prophets were shouting at Israel, right? All it was was an external show. So he says that therefore when the external show disappeared and we no longer have access to it, what is all that remains is the inner process, and that's what we're doing. Okay, so that's our Sachs's point. Is that how, how did Tvila become an, ex, an, an outgrowth of, of the Karbanos? Because the Karbanos were meant to be a process inwardly and outwardly. And the outward now facet was removed. All that's left is the inner facet of this process. That's why that's what we're trying to do, and that's all we can hold on to in the hope of the future, as Rav Cook is talking about over here in this. Now, um, um, in terms of, okay, so, so the Aruch HaShulchan addresses the why, the night, and the day, as we talked about, but let's just focus on each of these different aspects. So the Kior, the, the wash basin. So just a quick, a quick vignette on each of these. The, wa the wash basin happens to be very fascinating because it is, in and of itself isn't necessarily an avoider, right? Washing hands is not a service, but is a, pre a prerequisite to a service. What is interesting about it is that even the command for the wash basin does not appear in the regular parashiyos describing the making of the Mishkan. So in parashas Truma and Tetzaveh is where we have the creation of the Klea Migdash or the Klea Mishkan. And then where does the Kior appear? Parashas Kisiso. It's making appears in Vayakel, Vayakel, but its commandment actually is outside. It's almost, it, it, is, it is put into the same section as the creation of the Ketores. And the Shemina Mishra at the beginning of Parashas, he says almost as if it is part, so to speak, a necessary ingredient to the service, but not the actual service itself. That's the way it seems that the Torah is framing it. He has something interesting to think about. Do you notice that all the other Kalim in the base of Megdash had some way of carrying them? Why? Because it was a Mishkan, it wasn't a Migdash. They were going, they were moving. And therefore, 
all the other kalim had rings and a poles in order to be able to carry it, perhaps with the exception of the menorah. So the, the question that that's asked is, so what about the gyor? How did it move exactly? Now in the base of Midash, that wasn't a question because in the base of Midash, how many wash basins were there? Ah, there were 11. In the time of the Beis Hamidosh of, of Shlomo Melech, there were 11. There was the original, and there was another 10. Okay, so just uh, to, to preach, it was a very complex setup, and all of them had wheels, okay, in, in the Beis Hamidosh. But, this, the, the, this, uh, how, did the, how did the Kior at the time of the Mishkan move? Rav Saratskin has a very beautiful observation. He quotes the Tosefta, and he describes that when the Bnei Israel would encamp in the, the desert, what would happen is, is that, that they would have to wait to see if there was going to be water, right? No, not, not kior water, but drinking water. And where, what were they dependent on? The Be'er Shel Miriam, the well of Miriam, which would move with them. Can you imagine that? I'm saying like wherever you would go, there'd be, you could just sort of dip a bucket in and there would be water. So the Be'er Shel Miriam would come with them. And the Tosefta says that it would depend on the spiritual temperature of Israel as to how, um, how frequent or how um, accessible the water source would be. So if Israel were not at their best, it would take a few hours for them to be able to locate, to be able to access the water. And if everything was just fine, then the well would be accessible right away. And therefore, it would actually lead to the point that they would, the, the, it would say that a number of people go forward, and including the woman who go forward to Daven, that the well be accessible every time they, uh, they, they came to a new encampment. And uh, that's why in Parshas Chukas, when we describe the song of the well of Miriam, it is Ali Be'er Enu La, answering, what's La? Her, which means that Miriam was not just the one who's in Zechus it came about, it was in fact that she prayed every time they stopped and camped and the woman would join her to pray that the well would produce the water. Now what is interesting about this is the woman seeing Miriam's critical part in the leadership of the nourishing of Israel through the water said, well, you know what we should do? We should continue that by providing another source of water, which is they were the ones that contributed the bronze to make the kior, which would be, which would be drawn from the well. Rav Sarotskin makes the argument that where would the well go at the end of the day when they were traveling? Where would the kior go? Into the well. You can't, there's a concern halakhili of something which is called lina, which means to say that, this happened in the base of Midrash as well, they would lower the wash basin down into the ground, there was a winching, right? They would winch it down into the kiosk, so there would not be a problem of lina, of water which was left overnight, and it was then winched up the next morning. The Mishnah and Tommy talk about the noise as they would winch up the kiosk every morning. And now, when it came to the, in the Mishkan, the same thing would happen. Where would the Kior live? And why did it not have rings to carry it? Was because it lived in the Be'er Shel Miriam. In whose Zechus did it appear every time they encamped? Miriam and her cohort of women who were daven for the return of water, both for drinking and for the service. Just understanding the background of the appreciation when we say this. Very, very power, power, powerful perspective. So Saratskin talks about this at great length. Let's move on to the Truma Sadeshin for a second. I mentioned this in Shalom, I know you quoted this yesterday. Uh, but the, 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 at the beginning of Parshas um, Tzav, we talk about the Truma Sadeshin. And if you read in the Siddur, the section that we quote, which is the beginning of Parshas Tzav, which is why it's Tzav is Aaron is Bonov Leimor, it's actually talking about the Korban Ola, the burnt offering. But in, an, in achieving the Korban Ola, the first thing that was done is 
is Yama Ola Mokdal Mizbeach Kola Laila Raboy. Carried was burnt all night. Vayeshem Mizbeach to Kadboy. Then what's the first thing the coin does? He gets into his clothing. You take a, a shovel full of, a pan full of ashes and you place it next to the Mizbeach. That's the first thing that would happen in the morning. So Rav Hirsch makes the most beautiful observation about this. If you think about it, what's the first thing the day starts with is this Chumas Adeshen. Rav Hirsch says the following. Um, the Hoytzah Sadeshen in the top of page 6, um, the clearing of the hearth from the, all the remains of the preceding day to make it ready for the service of the new day, <coughs> skipping the parentheses, if it has, uh, uh, yeah, is the most probably also an avoider, a procedure of the, of the service of the offerings. Meaning to say, this actually could be constituted an avoider. Um, um, because and, uh, actually, um, the, or the translator um, adds in that this could be because you see that the coin has to wear mechim seivad, he has to wear the, the priestly garments. If Truma Sadeshin is to introduce the service of the young new day with reference back to which has been accomplished on the previous day, Hoitzah would, on the other hand, contrastingly express the thought that nevertheless, every fresh day brings the whole Jewish mission to be accomplished afresh. Uh, sorry, on the, on the other hand, express the thought that nevertheless, every fresh day brings the whole Jewish mission to the accomplishment of the fresh. Fresh as if nothing had yet been accomplished, does the beginning of every new day call us to go out on a mission with full new devotion and sacrifice. And nothing that has already been done may lessen the energy with which we go to do our duty. The thought of that which has been accomplished can be the death of that which still has to be accomplished. Woe unto him who, with smug self-complacency, thinks he can rest on his laurels of what he has already achieved, but who does not meet the task of every fresh day with full, fresh devotion as if to the first day of his life. So, in a certain sense, what he's saying is, don't think that everything I did, all the t-shirts I got and all the selfies I took, are what allows me to be who I am. That's nothing. What about today? But on the other hand, that means to say you avoid Siyazadeshin. Every trace of yesterday's sacrifice is to be removed from the hearth of the altar so that the service of the new day can be started on completely fresh grounds. Okay, so the first thing we do is, is we need to clean, so to speak, the baggage of yesterday. We all know this. We have unbelievable achievements and we think that, okay, that's it. We're done. Well, we're not done. We start afresh. We have to clean the, the surface for now today's sacrifices. The Rav Hirsch actually comment, it continues and the... And, uh, and the next paragraph, which I did not put in here, says, but then remember that the beginning of each day starts with remembering yesterday. We can't build on yesterday, but we start with yesterday. And he says, this is actually the story of Jewish destiny. Is any avoider of today is the continuation of yesterday. Not built on, not the accolades that I can be complacent, but I have to be able to. He says, the last Jewish child in history will be told the same story from their grandparents and great-grandparents of the original, and that's the Truma Sadeshin. So Truma Sadeshin is the merging of the yesterday to the today, the continuation of the of Jewish history. You know that in the Sefer Torah, there's a halacha that it should be, it's a, it's a hitter, but the Sefer Torah should have Voveha Amudim, where every column starts with a Vov, which is an and, which essentially means it's all one long story. And that's what Jewish history is, one long story connected day to day by the Truma Sadeshin, by taking out the ashes of yesterday's sacrifice for today's sacrifice as well. That's what he suggests as well. And then we move into the Korban Tamid. What is the Korban Tamid all about? So Rav Hirsch, in his commentary on the Siddur, this is not, this is not on, the, on the Chumash, but he says the following, This chapter contains the, the order of the Tamid, the daily offerings. Through them, morning and night, Israel comes as a keves, as a lamb before God, the shepherd of its existence, both as a group of individuals and as a nation. 
Through the act of sacrifice, Israel expresses his dedication as personality, represented in the blood. To the quest of the lofty pinnacle is destiny, that's the sprinkling on the Mizbech. And by inference, the consecration of all its orid organs of perception, willpower and achievement, those are the limbs of the Korriban, as nourishment for the purifying, illuminating and the life-giving fire of the divine Lord to find favor in his eyes. Lechem Hashem. So what he is essentially saying is, is that every day we rededicate Hashem to, ourselves to Hashem. The Korban Ola, or the Korban Tamid, is a burnt offering which is brought on behalf of the community, not any individual. The first thing we start, all the Nodavas and all the Nodarim can be brought afterwards. The first thing that's brought is Israel. Let's rededicate, let's realign our wheels. What are we doing over here? Our dedication of everything, our aspirations, our willpower, our wherewithal to our Kodesh Baruch Hu, represented all these different places. Now moving on just over here to as we move towards the end, we do add these perprokim of Ezehu Makoman and the Rebbe Yishmael Aimer. What are they all about? So the tour actually talks about this. It is worthwhile noting that the section in the Shulchan Aruch which talks about Karbanus is found in Orachim Simon Aleph. The section which talks about Ezehu Mokoman, which is this whole chapter, the fifth parak of, of Meseches Zvachim in Mishnayos, and Rabbi Shmuel Omer, is found later on in Orachim Simon Nun, okay, in a completely different section. So although we say it as one, it's actually not, so to speak, coming from the same source, in Halacha at least. Um, and the tour in Simon Nun, in the 50th cha um, chapter of, um, of Halacha, says, um, in source 13, the Kavu Lashanois Mishnas Ezemukoman, who brides the Rabbi Shmuel Oimer, Biyud Gimel Miros, Achar Pasha Satamid, after we said the Karbanis in the morning, Mishum, Hard Omar Rav Safra, because of a statement made in the name of Rav Safra. What was Rav Safra's practice? It's something which we try to aspire to every day. Le'olam Yishalesh Adam Shanosov, Shlishma Mikra, Shlishma Mishnah, Shlishma Talmud. If a person wants to do the right balance of learning, it should be a third, a third, a third. What does that mean? A third of. A third of Mishnah and a third of Talmud. So the Gemara says, that doesn't make sense. How do you know how long you're going to live? What was the, the understanding of the Gemara? It's a lifespan. It's a lifespan, right? So God willing, what we do is 40 years of Tanakh, 40 years of Mishnah and 40 years of Gemara. So the Gemara says, but you don't know. You weren't given the terms of the lease. Right, so if that's the case, how do you know if you're going to spend the first, first 40 on Tanakh? So the Gemara says, Umeshani loy nitzrocha This is a daily program that's being talked about, not a life program. Shetzarech b'chol yom lilmoid mishloshtan. You're supposed to learn all three of them on a daily basis. Therefore, the Gemara says, and he's quoting the Gemara, Umejashol b'raiser Rabbi Shmuel havi b'makom Talmud Talmud. It's the place of the... Talmud, which means that essentially what are we doing here? Not only are we commemorating the Korbanos, but it is our opportunity incorporated into our davening is our learning schedule. Remember that the people over there, they did, not they did not have the wherewithal to have an all Torah app to while they were busy commuting to work in those days. Right? They, when they left Shul, that was it. Right? We are so fortunate today how much Torah access we have. But institutionalized in our Twila is Psukim, that's Mikra. The Mishnah of Ezehu Mekoman and Rabbi Shmuel Aymer, which is a brisa, which is still Tanatic, but it's considered like Talmud. It's a commentary on the Mishnah itself. So that's incorporated into Yah. Now it happens to be, we, that doesn't answer why specifically these, but it does talk about why these different part, parts of, of, the, of, the, of the, the doubling. So why specifically Ezehu Mekoman? Why was this chapter chosen out of all of them? A few answers. One, the Torah goes on to say, Umishnas Ezehu Mekoman, source 14. It's a passage which says that in every place 
there's this, so to speak, this, the ashes are brought in my name. You can't bring incense everywhere. It doesn't work in Vienna, right? It means when sages are learning about this, as if wherever the Kodshim is being learned, that's where, so to speak, the incense is going up to Hashem symbolically as well. So Ezra Mokoman, in a certain sense, is an expression of that. But it's not just that. The Beis Yosef, Rav Yosef Karo, on his commentary on the tour, which is the precursor to Shulchan Aruch, says, it's also between the Kosovo Ra'ah, he quotes the Ra'ah, she tiknu lashanos perikazim, and common lefisha, ain't or a whole oyster perik mach like us. One of the only chapters in all of Shas Mishnais that there's no dispute between the sages in Pasha's, the fifth perik of Zvachim. Right? Vahi Mishnah Brura, Lemoshi Messina, which therefore indicates that it is a Mishnah Brura. What does that mean? That means that it was, the, if there's no argument, then it clearly means that it was all a, of a Mesorah of Torah Sheba Alpeh, of the type that was transmitted to Sinai. He's making a very, a very fascinating observation. There are three, perhaps five, different subsections of Oral Torah. The first and the most important part of the Oral Torah is that which was given at Sinai. So we, always, we sometimes mistakenly think that the Torah Shebechsav was given at Sinai and the rabbis made up the rest. That's not true. The Torah Shebechsav, the oral Torah, was also given at Sinai in order to interpret it. So examples being, the Torah tells us, What pray tells is a prayer tzadar, beautiful fruit. We can find all kinds of beautiful fruit. I like mangoes, you like bananas. So, so why, why, should, why do we take the citron? The answer is because Moshe was received from God that this means citron. And there's, that's why there's no dispute. Nobody is nobody in the world, no matter which tradition, is taking a mango because that was a tradition from Sinai. The fact that there's no dispute in this parak says the Ra'a, is an indication that everything in this parak is a matter of the first section of Torah Shaval Peh, which is non um, beyond dispute as well. It also may also relate to another element, just on a practical level. This is what's called halacha psukah. Halacha psukah means when it's a very clear halacha. Perhaps in the morning we don't want to get into something which is more complicated, once you have a dispute, it, it, whenever you have a dispute, it means that the issue is complex, right? Because whenever you have a dispute, people are focusing on different elements of that, um, that, uh, that issue, right? So we don't want to get involved in that because that's going to be very distracting because suddenly we'll be like, wait a second, that's incredible. But what, what are they focusing on? What's the Nukura Samachalakas over here? Wait a second, I remember Gomorrah which talks about, no, 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 <laughs> right now, we're just trying to get the overview. So that's, that's, well, that's why it's, uh, it's um, also mentioned as well in a practical sense. As as Allah Sukkah as well, um, it is interesting. There's a beautiful thing, a beautiful commentary made by Rabbi Avram Wolfish, Doctor Wolfish, which is in the quote in the most recently released RCA Sitter called Sitter of Slave. It's a black new Sitter was released three years ago, four years ago, and he makes a very interesting observation over here. Let's see just over here where where to start. He points out that if you read through the Mishnahs, which is worthwhile learning through them carefully and understanding what we're saying in Ezra Makaimon, not just davening them, but really going through them, he points out that if you go through all these Mishnahs, there is a, a, so to speak, a broadening of the area in which the Korbanas can be brought. So in the beginning towards the end. So let's, let's start over here on page 7. Just um, There's actually four quadrants. One, two, three, four. I'm in the fourth quadrant, bottom right of this uh, in English. He says the following. The, um, uh, the last one in the line is of... The blood of the most of these sacrifices applied like that of the sacrifices in Mishnahs 4 to 5 on the two corners of the altar. But the blood of the least holy of these offerings, the firstborn, the tithe of animals, the Pesach offering, which is at the end of the parak, is applied in, uh, in one location only, a part of the altar wall above its base. 
By ranking the sacrifices in order of sanctity in accordance with the location, the mission expresses the main function of animal sacrifices to draw man nearer to the presence of God. Which means to say that being as the Holy of Holies is more, so to speak, inward, and the less holy is more outward, there's an indication of hierarchy of where holiness is to be found, which is an indication to us that we need to aspire to get closer to it. It is worthwhile noting, just as an interesting observation, that the Mishaburah, when commenting on this in Simon Nun and Memches, in, in Halacha says, this is not davening, this is learning. And therefore, a few applications. One is, the Shlai Kodesh would say that one should learn it, one should read it in a nigun of learning, as opposed to a nigun of davening. Right? There are different nuschas when davening and learning. But more than that, he says, unlike davening, which does have an impact when a person is doing it even without perception and, cons- and understanding, these are less effective because this is not about davening. This is about learning. If a person is learning, you need to learn it. That doesn't mean to say we need to know it, but we need to be trying to learn it. So it is less effective than just, so to speak, doubling through the Pesukah de Zimra without understanding. That has a fact, uh, an impact. This has much less of an impact unless we're actually doing it. So it is worthwhile, and perhaps this is a, a worthwhile goal. Let's say a person tries to come to shul early to get the Kor- to, to do the Korbanus properly, and there's not, even then there's not enough time. What about taking one line, one Mishnah a day, and read it with a commentary? And build up over time so that by the time one has spent two months on this, one actually understands what Ezer Mokhaman is. And one has a picture of the map of where the different parts of the Mizbech and the different parts of the, the, the Ezer where we're learning about this in order to be able to fully understand this. I try to do this by Memalikim on Friday night as well. Again, another exo- example of something which is superhumanly said at, uh, at the speed it said, never mind the understanding. But if one takes a line by line and tries to appreciate it, one gets to the, the ultimate understanding because it's learning, not davening as well. Finally, what a Rabbi Bishmol Omer. What is this all about? The Torah again comments in source 17. Ketalmud is like Talmud. V'oid shihit chilas toras kohanim. Do you know where this appears in the actual, in the, as a brisa, as a tenetic teaching? It's the beginning of toras kohanim. What's toras kohanim? The Medrash Halacha on Vayikra, which means it's thematically the same. We've just learned about the Korbanos. We just learned about, that's the, the Psukim. Now we talked about where the Korbanos are done. That's Ezum Akoman. And then what's, what's, what's the Vayikra? That's the rules of expression of this which is found at the beginning of Torah's Kanim. Do you know something interesting? The Malbim decided to change his lifestyle. The Malbim, Rav Meir Leibush, um, was, uh, was a commenter, great, a great uh, uh, um, a, a, Torah, a, a Torah giant, started writing a commentary on the, on the Shulchan Aruch, and then he noticed that, uh, that there was terrible things going on around him, including the reform movement. He was persecuted himself because of comments that he made in, 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 to defend tradition. And he said, there's something wrong that's going on in the world. I need to change things. And therefore, he shifted focus. And he decided that he was going to write on Tanakh to show that those who are, who are, who are forming in the mid-1800s and saying that all this Torah Shabal Peh, all this oral Torah is hogwash, he says, well, I'm going to explain to you that if you, just, if you had any intellectual integrity, you would arrive at the Torah Shabal Peh if you read the Torah Shabal properly. And what was the first thing he commented on? First thing he commented was not on the Mechilta. First comment was he wrote a book called Ayala Sashachar on Vayikra. His, his, his magnum opus is on Sefer Vayikra on the beginning of this because Vayikra is the place where you need Chazal to understand what is said in the Pesukim. Rabbi Shmuel Ameri is giving us the tools. Rabbi Shmuel Ameri is the 13 tools necessary of expanding the logic of understanding what a Pesuk means to understand what the Torah Shabal Peh. Kavachom is one of them. But there are other ones. Binyan Echa, Echad. In fact, Rav Kook actually says in this that's the way of Hashem expressing himself as well. It's also how Hashem's logic expresses itself in the world in general, but that's, that's more esoteric. But, but essentially, this is the idea of understanding what Hashem wants. This is important to contrast to Ezeh Makoman. If Ezehu Mokoman is the clear tradition from Sinai without Machlokas, this is the opposite. 
This is, this is why it's important to understand it. There are two other sections of Torah Shabbat Peh. The first is what was received at Sinai. As an example, the Esrog, the fact that Tefillin are black and square. Right? Those are all things which nobody disputes because they came from Sinai. They were the oral Torah. But there are other things which were not given at Sinai. Rather, God says, listen to the sages, and I'm going to give the sages certain tools in order for them to be able to expand, the, 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 so to speak, the system. And those tools were what we read, Rabbi Shmuel Aymer. In other words, the sages are given the license to use the, that's this tool called Kalvachomer, to have a logical inference, a build-up in logic, to be able to say, this is the concept, and if the law applies in this, in this particular subject in X way, something which is more chamor, more, more um, weighty than it, should certainly also have that same concept. And the Torah wanted us to arrive at that. But because this is dependent on the logic of human beings, guess what? There's going to be machloikas, because some will say it should apply, and some will say it shouldn't apply. Where do you see Machlaikas? Only in this area of Halacha, which is the Rabbi Shmuel area, not in the Ezeb Koman area of Halacha, which is Halacha Psukha, which is directly from Sinai. What's the third area of Torah Shabbat Peh, just as an interesting aside? Gzeira and Takonas. Chanukah, Purim, Muktza, all those things. Those, those are extra, those are boundaries around the Mitzvahs. They are not, they are not, they are not der derivations like Rabbi Shmuel Amer. They are not traditions like Ezeb Koman, but they are now, we'll call it new paraphernalia, new systems created in order to be able to, to, to protect us. So it's appreciate to be able to appreciate the differences. There's also somewhat of a malachalikas somewhere there, but in some of those instances, depending on all, how it works. Yes. A quick point to accentuate the communal nature of the Talmud, which you last over from Hirsch. It comes from the Maxis Shekel, which and it's ready now we all have an equal share in it. Beautiful. Beautiful. So we all part of part of the, 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 that movement. Very true. Very true. All comes together. Last last point, and then we'll close today because we're, we're running out of time. And that is is that um, the the Baruch Shomer of Baruch Levi Epstein in his commentary on the Siddur makes the following observation: that if you notice about all these things, these are all klalim, not pratim. All these three sections, whether it be the Karbanos, whether it be the Mishnayas talking about where the Karbanos are brought, or whether it be Rabbi Shmuel Amer, are generalities. They are the forest. They are not the they are not the, the trees. Which means to say that he believes that the methodology in learning Torah, and again, this is, this is his observation, is that in order to appreciate Torah, to appreciate our system, if this is our format of our institutionalized daily learning in this section of our davening, well, it's important to start with the rules and then apply them to the specific cases, the granular expressions, which is why Rabbi Shmuel Omer is quoted, because if you understand Rabbi Shmuel Omer, then you can understand every other Gomorrah you learn because that's what they're doing there. If you understand the Ezra Makoman, then you can understand all the precise details about the Karbanas because you know where it is. And in fact, he says that's why, the, that's why we should, technically speaking, be doing the Karban. Chatas, Ola, Mincha, all those Klalim, which is mentioned in one of the Pesukim, which is, we don't have in the Siddur uh, today, but in order to be able to get to appreciate the generalities. Be'ezra Hashem, we should have the blessing that if we dedicate a little bit extra time to this, because this really is the, the most overlooked part of Davening, we dedicate a little more time to whether it be coming earlier or, spare, or spare staying later or spending a little more time on this. God willing, we should be able to see this in real life and be so much more appreciative when we see the Karbonis because it was that we took the time to, spare, to spend time getting there. Have a wonderful and meaningful day, Bezras Hashem, and looking forward to seeing you next week.